Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insights. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton, and joining me in the studio this morning is my roommate of 25 years and co-host, consultant with IBM, Miss Holly Payton. Good morning, Sunshine. Hello. How are you? I am doing well. Been very excited about doing this together. This is going to be a fantastic segment. We have with us Miss Karen Angeletta Wheeler. She is <laughs> impressed, A, that I pronounced right. Her. <laughs> I'm getting a thumbs up over, over here. She is a human capital sales and marketing strategist and thought leader, and she knows a thing or two, apparently, about talent management scorecards and by the end of the segment maybe we will as well welcome to the show miss karen thank you very much stone i appreciate it great pronunciation of the name <laughs> love it love it all right so let's do uh let's inform the listeners and uh you know, you know holly may not be up to speed on this either so let's get her caught up on uh talent management scorecard uh what is it and what's the value dive into that for me a little bit if you would Sure. So a talent management scorecard is really more nothing more than a balanced scorecard, but it really focuses on everything from recruitment, hiring, all the way through the employee retention process. So think about, for example, when you hire someone, you might want to think about how your how your hiring criteria works, the recruiting, um, the spectrums in terms of what you're working with, and then obviously how do you onboard them, how do you train them, which obviously is our business from a learning perspective, but also then the turnover associated with that, their sales performance, if they're in sales, leadership effectiveness, so really covers the entire gamut. So it's a whole comprehensive scorecard that focuses on every single piece from start of your career sadly the end of your career with the company so that's really what it focuses on so how did you um how, how do you link all those pieces together because i would imagine companies yeah. over the years have had all that but it's kind of been in separate pieces it is in separate pieces and that's part of the problem uh, it, a lot of them fall on hr right so a lot of them fall on human resources but some of them don't so for example sales performance HR doesn't have access to any of the sales performance data. They don't have access to any of the leadership effectiveness data. So, for example, you're trying to figure out from a leader perspective, you know, um, how have you been doing at hiring? What is your what has been your overall production for your team? Whatever the team is, it doesn't have to be sales. Could be anything. Obviously, the stats aren't compiled in HR, so you have to do a lot of partnerships. So think about it as an internal partnership between all of the resources that focus on those things. So when I did it, it was focusing with sales operations for sales statistics, uh, HR obviously for the recruitment, hiring, and turnover data, uh, marketing because you want to focus on product sales, right? How much did they sell product wise? So I had to focus with marketing, and then also any other work group like IT to pull the data from a data warehouse because they has they had the data. So we had to really do a partnership. So do you find that sales managers or salespeople themselves, do they bristle with the idea at all of having a talent management scorecard? Yes, they do. They're scared. <laughs> but more so than other pockets of the organization? Oh, it's good and bad. Number one, if you're in sales, everything you do is measured, right? So if you have a CRM, you know, a, a tool that you use to measure your activity, everything they do really should be measured, right? So how many how many calls they made, how many appointments they made, how many proposals they sent, uh, obviously how many, how many people they closed, how many people they actually sold to and installed or, or implemented. So they're used to metrics, but they don't like you being in their business. You know, they don't like you being in their house. <laughs> so when you say to them also, oh, by the way, we're going to measure your turnover. Sales hates that because what is sales normally turnover? Pretty darn high. So if you think about it, they don't want to have any particular branch manager or sales manager say, well, your turnover stone is much worse than yours, Holly. 
Because then Holly's feeling, well, she's feeling pretty good. Her turnover's pretty great. But you're feeling like, well, man, uh, what, what happened here? Am I a schmuck or what's, what's wrong here? <laughs> so, so part of that is they get worried when you start to get inside their little house. So you have to be good about positioning it and why you're doing it. Right. Not necessarily just to be in their business. So, How did you get started in uh, in? working in this space. I mean, you seem to know so much. How did you get started in this? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long story short is that I started off in sales training. I started off in sales years ago. So I was a contributor. I had carried the bag. I was a sales leader. So I actually tried to align with them and say, hey, look, I was, I was you before. So that's the first thing. But then when I started in sales training, we were measuring all kinds of stuff, right? You know, you're measuring how many people get trained, their testing scores, that kind of stuff. And sales leaders don't mind that because that's not intrusive. But then when you say, does the training, the onboarding, the hiring have an effect on on their performance, they don't want to be judged on that. So really, you have to position it as, hey, you know, this is something that's going to help you figure out how do you hire better? Because think of how much time you spend trying to recruit and hire. A sales manager could spend two thirds of their time doing that. And then, gosh, they turn over either voluntarily or you have to fire them because their performance was so bad. So when I worked for Verizon Wireless, I was the national director for sales training there and workforce development. And we really felt like in that organization being Fortune 11, there was so much statistics to measure. There was so much stuff to do that we felt like we really had the ability, resource-wise, dollars and people, to start to measure this. So this is really where I started the work back in 2000. And really over the last 14 years, it's been a culmination of doing those partnerships with those work groups I've already mentioned, but then also thinking about, well, what could what does the business want to, what does business care about? If you're a C-level executive, don't you care about your resources and getting a return on investment for training? Sure. What's the first thing that gets cut all the time? Training. Training. (laughs) So they say to you, hey, we spent $5 million on sales training. What did we get for that? Well, everybody's happy. Happy sheets. They love the training. Thumbs up. Well, that's nice, but they want to know, okay, well, what did they learn anything? Okay, well, you can test that, right? Level two, you know, measurement, Kirkpatrick, you can do that. But they also want to know, did it actually uh, help the bottom line for the business? And that's really where the scorecards came from, is really that. Is it easier? I, I get, I, I'm getting the feeling it might be easier to sell sales on doing this yeah. than it is other departments or other lines mm-hmm. of business because sales impacts the bottom line, so measuring that makes perfect sense, but it might be more difficult to sell it into other lines of business or measuring other areas of talent. Yeah, I think the two biggest groups that you typically measure are sales and also customer service, because everything they do also is metric and measured. Mm -hmm. So everything they do, call handling times, you know, how quickly they resolve the customer situation, um, you know, how many calls they took in the hour. So for them, again, metrics are pretty standard, so measuring that's pretty easy. But we actually did a very large leadership effectiveness project where we said we wanted to see when leaders came into the company how long did it take them to do a lateral move how long did it take them to get promoted what about succession planning because you know everybody says succession planning but I don't know about you most companies I've worked for succession planning is kind of a farce it really doesn't mean anything makes everybody (laughs) feel good but we really don't do anything with it so we really felt like okay if we're going to do succession planning and this was at Verizon we really wanted to do succession planning so we wanted to measure when you came on board did your training and onboarding have any effect? Did your manager as a leader have an effect? If you had a great, inspiring, wonderful leader, did he or she help you to get a lateral position, groom you, develop you to do that? Or if you were in a position where maybe you had a lot of department leaders, could you do some cross-training? So maybe I was ahead of X, but I wanted to cross-train to be Y. So we measured that. And that really actually worked out really well because we figured out by the year's end, when we measured the leaders, every single leader that was hired, a mid-level manager, we figured out how many lateral moves we made. And 52% of those lateral moves were truly due to the manager involvement above them. 
meaning guiding them, grooming them, coaching them, developing them, which, by the way, translates also to what? Training. So it really did have an impact. So we said, hey, training our leaders actually does make sense, and maybe we should invest in that. And it is a good return on investment because look at how many people get promoted and also retention. Look at how many leaders we retained. Because you don't want to lose a good leader because you spent all that money on them or time on them. So we, we did do a lot of studies related to that. So it does work in that well, in that well as well. Well, and companies bleed, it's my understanding, bleed uh, an incredible bottom of money from turnover, uh, yes. these, these retention issues. I want to talk about designing the scorecard. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- yep. Is there methodology structure rigor to this? Is it the, is it the yes. caring methodology no 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 it's not the care methodology <laughs> well, speak to that so no yeah so just uh, so figuring out how to create this the scorecard is is nothing more than thinking about your objectives so just like when you design a program what are your objectives for the scorecard so do you want to measure the front end which is the higher measure their physical say functional training in this case sales in my case or leadership training do you want to measure mm-hmm. post training so it could be continuing ed and also, obviously, retention, right, and turnover. So truly, a talent management scorecard should contain all of those because you want a full picture to give the leader from start to finish, and you want to decide how many periods of time are you going to measure. So, for example, what we did at Earthlink was we decided we were going to measure the first seven months on the job. And the reason for that is there's a five-month ramp for a salesperson in that particular position. These were accounting executives outside hunters, kind of salespeople. So we said, okay, we wanted to measure their first seven months on the job. And so when we did that, we said, hey, we want to think about is the hiring criteria so they were the control group we had another group that just got onboarded they never went to a workshop they never had any post development at all and then we had a third group that had everything they got onboarded they got trained they got post work so we compared those groups over time and we figured out of course if they were recruited the same and they were hired the same other than their manager being different right but same recruiting strategy they were Onboarded, if they were onboarded, part of group two or three, if they were onboarded, they were onboarded the same. If they were part of group three, they were trained the same. So those were sort of our control variables. And then what we could do is we could measure everything in between to say what were the differences. And that's really some of the outcomes. We can talk about that. Um, so the it, it's fascinating to me that you were able to set this up with control groups <laughs> because yeah. so often inside of a business – you say, this is my proposal and this is what I'm going to do, but they don't give you the latitude to have a control group where you don't give them the training. And didn't that make the executives yeah. nervous about about the initiative you were proposing? It was kind of a unique situation. So when I came to Earthlink, which at the time was Deltacom, Deltacom was bought by Earthlink in December of 10. So this was back in 09 when I was brought to Deltacom. When I was brought in, there was really not much training development there. So I was really brought in to build a sales training strategy and a sales training team from the ground up. So when I was built, building this, I said to them, hey, we have a whole bunch of new hires that started this year that, to my knowledge, have gotten no training. And they're like, yeah. And they said, well, we want you to train them. I said, no, let's not train them yet. <laughs> <laughs> I said, they, they haven't had any training so far. Let's not mess up a good thing here. Let's just, let's just leave them alone. And so they were, they were shocked. that Because yeah. what training leader comes in and says, <laughs> right. let's not train them? And I said, well, then this is a perfect control group for me to measure the effectiveness of the training that you hired me to, to do. That's smart. And so they were like, well, all right. Well, yeah, they've been doing all right so far. Okay, let's do that. And so that's what we ended up doing. That's how I sold them on it. Because it was just a unique situation. But you're right in a normal business like a Verizon we would have never not trained someone right. we would have trained someone of exactly. course absolutely exactly we maybe have given different varying degrees though we could get away with that yeah. um today companies have so many systems and there's so much data out of, out, out there yeah. um 
in this methodology and approach, do you have access to pull the data to build this scorecard? Is it is it um, terribly manual? Is it more automated? It's very manual. It's very manual because you're pulling data across many different systems. So, mm-hmm. for example, at Verizon, we were lucky that we had one HRIS system because we had been integrated at that point. At Earthlink, we were not. We bought 10 different companies over the period of a couple oh of my. years. So imagine all the HRIS systems you had, all the sales systems you had. Sure. It was it was crazy. So the problem with that is they don't talk to each other, right? So that's what you have to figure out is who can pull the data from what system. So when I was at Verizon, I was part of Human Resources, so it was easy for me to get my HRS counterpoints to pull the data for me. Mm -hmm. Same thing on Earthling. But I couldn't get the sales performance data. I could maybe get a pretty report that they wanted the public to see, right? So because Mm -hmm. sales had already scrubbed it. But I couldn't get the raw data at the person level. So what I wanted was, let's say, for example, Cheryl starts the job on, you know, January 3rd. I wanted to know everything Cheryl did, her activity in the CRM, which I normally wouldn't have access to. I'd have to get sales operations to pull that for me. I would want to know every single sale she did or didn't make and why. I wanted to know how she was performing from her manager perspective. Was she on a performance improvement plan? Was she on a PIP? Um, Is she getting ready to be let go? Is she going to be turned over? So some of that data is in a lot of different places. So even companies have data warehouses in IT. That's fine. But they're not calculating all that data either. So it's very manual. You have to have have your own methodology, spreadsheets, and that kind of stuff. It's a lot of spreadsheets. A lot lot of spreadsheets. A lot of Excel. (laughs) Hope you like Excel. (laughs) That's what I have to say. Um, So when companies use these kinds of balanced scorecards or talent management mm-hmm. scorecards. You're providing this data to someone to be able to use the information and make better decisions. Can you yes. talk to talk a little bit about, about that end of it? You've gathered the data, you've produced your information. Now when it gets handed off to the executives, um, what's the challenges there? The challenges there are to make sure that you're communicating the data properly and that you're not sugarcoating it. I think so many times we they want to hear the data that they want to hear, right? So they don't want to hear that their Salesforce has an 86% turnover rate. They don't want to hear that. They could probably guess it's at least 50 because most sales organizations is between, say, 25 and 50, but they don't want to hear 86%. So I think you have to figure out how are you going to go back to the objectives of the scorecard and tie, it's just like a training program, how are you going to tie it back to the objectives and say, look, we discussed and agreed that we were going to measure the hiring criteria. So I'll give you an example. At Earthlink, we decided we were going to measure, did they come into the job with telecommunications background and outside sales background? That was part of the hiring criteria. The second hiring criteria was an assessment that every new hire in sales took before they were allowed to join the company. We also determined there were a lot of managers that pled on the behalf of this employee. I know so-and-so from church. I know so-and-so from whatever. I golf with him. (laughs) Can you please hire him even though he doesn't have the criteria? Does that sound familiar? So what we would say is we would say, that's great. We'll let you hire him, but then he's going to be called an exception hire, meaning he didn't meet our hiring criteria up front. So what we decided to do as an example was we told those branch managers, by the way, when we do the the scorecard, we're going to not only measure the people that were hired that were according to the criteria that we all agreed we were going to do, but also the exceptions. And we were going to measure their sales performance to see if exceptions actually performed just as well as people that we knew were our target hiring you know, criteria. And you can venture to guess they did not. So that would allow us to do corporate change to say we were trying to get the branch managers to actually train, or sorry, to, to, hire, me, to hire people with the right criteria up front. 
because they were trying to hire their buddies, right? They're trying to hire the guy they golf with, the, the guy they, they, they hang out with. And in reality, they weren't good hires. And so that's an example of some of the data that you can pull. And it was enlightening because then you also found trends. Certain branch managers had consistent problems with that. Certain regions allowed that. So then upper management was like, oh, that's very, very interesting. <laughs> we might need to relook at that manager. Maybe they're not the right manager to lead this team. So it had a lot of lasting effects, believe it or not. And a lot of managers, as I hate to say, were not happy because it shed, shed a light on how they were operating their teams. So if I'm leading an organization, what are the signs that I should be looking for that suggest to me, hey, maybe I ought to put some thought into this talent management scorecard thing. Maybe I ought to give Karen a call. <laughs> <laughs> and she can create one for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, I'm, I'm, what I'm looking for is that tipping point. Do I just go read a book about it or is it time to get somebody like Karen in here and we really need to think this through? What am I looking for? Yeah, you need to have a strategy. You need to decide how much time and energy you can devote to this because I will tell you it does take time. And that's really the majority of the reasons why companies don't do it. And they also don't have the talent on their team, the expertise to do it. So they might go outside and hire a consultant to do it. The problem with that is what Holly brought up is the data. A consultant is not going to have access to the partnerships that are required to kind of get that internal buy-in, nor to the data. You know, so part of hiring consultants, they can give you the strategy and the methodology, but if they can't get access to the data, that's what you really need. So you have to have the manpower to be able to pull that data to do it. So really, you have to have a very disciplined approach of what am I going to do? What time period am I going to measure? So we said seven months, which actually took us all year because you wanted to hire reps at different stages of their, you know, of their development. So if you hired every single month of the year, as we did, you had to have a cutoff then. So for example, after June, we didn't measure the same group the same way. And also the business changes, <laughs> right. right? So you can't keep saying things are fairly the same when they're not. And so you had to have different, you know, obviously, you know, uh, data points to say, okay, well, during this time period, we did different things. We had different sales methodology or whatever. So I think you have to decide what's a good stable period of time that you think you can take a chunk of time out to measure and then what's your strategy around it. So that's really what you have to do. Um, what are some of the common mistakes that people that are new to this field or don't have the experience yeah. that you do, what are some of the common mistakes that they make? I think if you don't begin with measurement in mind, so think about the old Stephen Covey you know, methodology, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you have to begin with measurement in mind. So for example, if you want to measure training's effectiveness, which is what we're talking about, right. you have to actually design your training program with measurement in mind. So for example, what do you think you want the outcome to be when the salesperson or the leader leaves the training program? Well, that's the objectives, right? Well, a lot of times our objectives are not really measurable objectives from a performance perspective. Right. They're knowledge objectives. We want them to learn, understand, do. That's not really an objective. So what we want to say is we want to have objectives that are truly performance-driven. They want to make more appointments. You right. can measure that. I want to have a better percentage to quote a sale or ramp up, a faster ramp up. I can measure that. I want to have X amount of dollars of sales by the time they're in their fifth or sixth month. I can measure that. If you don't put that into the pro program and figure out what skills, knowledge, and systems they need to do that, then you start with kind of not so good work to begin with. So that's a big problem. The other problem is not having the dedicated resources to be able to pull the data and have the partnerships. A lot of times you have a good fast start, but you get executive buy-in, they say, oh, great, let's do it. And then it peters off because they realize, oh, gosh, this is a lot of work. <laughs> we, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have time to do that. Holy cow, this is a lot of work. What, what were we thinking? Right. Yeah, so it's right. usually those two things. You're not beginning with the end in mind, and you don't realize the amount of commitment and the amount of time it takes to do it. Not right. to say you can't do your day job because you have to do your day job. But you do need to make time to do it. Right. So so I can imagine that people who don't have your experience 
build their program, and then they realize that they haven't thought through how to measure it. That's right. And what they measure doesn't really correlate yes. back very strongly. That's exactly right. That's exactly what happens. And then they realize, oh, that's a big problem. Right. So, for example, most training programs are great at measuring knowledge. So they do great testing, right? P- pretty common. You could do sure. a pre and a post test. You can say, okay, the rep learned 15% more, but then when he started. Okay, that's fine. But if I'm a sales ex- leader or I'm a, I'm a CEO or an executive, do I really care that they learned 15% more? I want to know, did he sell more? And you can't do level four in Kirkpatrick methodology or certainly level five in Phillips methodology. You can't do that without having a training program that says, okay, what are all the things that they have to do in their real job? So that means their training has to be just like their job. It's what I call the life cycle of their their job. So if I have to start making appointments, then I think I should learn what? Prospecting training. I need to have CRM training. I need to know how to enter it into the system. And maybe I need to have it in the order in which I actually do it. Because otherwise, I'm not really learning it in the way, you know, compartmentalizing it myself in the way that I need to be able to do my job. And so, so many times you get a chunk of training, but it doesn't tie back to anything else. And when you go to measurement, measurement, pardon me, you realize, oh, well, that was good at maybe for the product, but I didn't really think about the skill and I didn't tie together how to sell the product. So then how can I measure how they sold the product? Well, it occurs to me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like common sense, but it's really not, believe it or not. It's really not that easy, believe it or not. So, Well, it, it strikes me that one of the things to watch out for uh, or prepare for, I, I suppose, it, where the wheels could really come off here is... <laughs> and they do come off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you don't set it up right, the, the manager will untrain them quicker than you can train them. Yeah. Right? Yes. And, and, and I, don't you love that? When you, they send them off to training and then they come back from training, I, you know, anything you learn, don't do it that way. Do it my way. <laughs> you got to get back to work. You got to get back to work. I, that was nice what you did for the last couple of weeks at headquarters, but we, we don't want you to do it like that. We need to do it like this. So, yeah, that's a big problem. So, you have to have manager buying. You have to have the leadership to know, A, what you're training them on, right? They all have to agree to the hiring criteria up front. They have to agree of how they're going to sort of coach and performance manage them. So, if they're going to do PIPs at a certain period or not, if they're going to manage them out of the business a certain period or not? Uh, how long are you going to give them, so to speak, before they don't perform? How, what's the ramp? So that sort of has to be understood up front. And not to say managers aren't going to break the rules, because they will. Um, but you at least have to have an understanding to say when you call that out in the data, which is where Holly was going, when you call that out, then at some point you're going to have to say, look, we agreed upon X, Y, and Z, and you sort of deviated from that. So you sort of had what's known as an exception in the data. And so we're going to actually measure that. And then that actually has trending, and then that unfortunately comes back to the manager. <laughs> do you do you find that it's equally as important to do all the things you've talked about, but also to add in a component where you are training the managers how to read the data that you're giving them and then what to do with it? Yeah, you have to do that. And so what I did is I did several different versions of the scorecard. I did a very detailed version for really what I would consider the, the frontline manager level because they wanted to know at the rep level. So if I had 20 reps, I want to know every single rep that you measured, how you measured them, what you measured them on. But if I'm the regional director, I only care about my branches, right? So I only want it at the leadership level. Okay, well, how did, you know, Bob's uh, branch do? How did Tom's branch do, et cetera? And then if I'm executive, I only want to know the statistics. I only want to know the trending. So I actually had three or four different versions of this scorecard that I actually presented to leaders to actually allow them to see the data at the granularity that they wanted to see them. And obviously for the training team, we wanted to look at it from a holistic perspective too. And I also shared it with sales operations. Anybody that touched the data, I wanted them to see the output so they felt like their efforts were not in vain. 
because it was a lot of work for their teams too because I'm asking them to pull data for me mm-hmm. and go to the, you know go go here and go there and do these correlations and they were like well, what are you going to do with all this data why do you need this? No, no train leaders ever asked me for this before. What are you right. going to do with this stuff? And so I wanted to share with them, to your point, of how to actually, you know, this is the result and these are the outcomes. And really the concept of this is really to learn from the data. That's the bottom line. If you don't learn from it and you just present it and say, oh, this was nice and put a package in a bow, right. then it was a waste of a whole bunch of time. Right. You want to learn from it and say, what should we be doing differently in all those facets? Hiring, recruiting, training, onboarding, et cetera. So. Do you have a uh, any... Any tips or experience from your work related to retention? Do you have any any key things that your work has found that these are some areas where people can focus energy and expense? Espresso machine. Espresso <laughs> That's my tip. Great cappuccino. <laughs> to, make, yes. to make sure that, that you improve your retention rates because yeah. as we talked at the beginning, I mean, turnover is just so costly. It is. And so what we found with our measure, and this is true with the scorecard, we measured and figured out if a, if a rep or a leader was brought on board and they were not onboarded. So they weren't properly oriented to the company. They didn't get that warm and fuzzy about the company. So they were more likely to turn over just in, just in practice than those that didn't, that did get the onboarding. The second thing was how engaged was the leader in their development and in their learning and in, truly in their performance. So were, were the, was the manager actually holding their, their feet to the fire and actually trying to coach and develop them? If they weren't, if the manager was very disengaged, that honestly – the reps were pretty disengaged and allowed stuff to happen to them, meaning they allowed themselves to get fired. They allowed themselves to be, you know, pipped out of the organization. And so then they become even more disengaged. And obviously that becomes a cancer in the organization. The more reps you have that are like that on a team of say eight, if half of them are disengaged and the leaders disengaged, then obviously that whole team, we measured team retention Mm -hmm. and we found trends that certain managers were terrible at retaining their people. Absolutely terrible. And then we found pockets in regions, certain cities that were terrible. We ended up changing out a lot of leadership as a result of these scorecards because we realized that the hiring was bad, the coaching and development was bad, and the performance metrics that they were they were capturing were also not good. So that meant from start to finish, they were sort of letting the rep to their own devices. Mm-hmm. And what happens then is, you know, obviously the reps at some point don't decide, well, I don't, I'm not, nobody's watching me, so I'm just going to do whatever and, and I'm going to keep getting paid, right? <laughs> and, uh, and at some point they realize, oh, maybe the jig is up. I got I to perform. <laughs> so those are things. And I think the other thing then too is, is that from a, um, from a performance perspective, if you're managing, say, for example, again, leaders and you're trying to figure out, you know, lateral moves, you're trying to figure out promotions, that's a way to retain them. If you're a leader who's a fairly high-performing leader, don't you want to you know, get promoted or don't you want to be recognized? And if we found that didn't happen, what happens? The leader leaves the company because they don't feel like they're getting, you know, obviously, any you know, performance uh, respect or you know, admiration, rewards, whatever you want to call it, from all the hard work they've done. So honestly, it's all tied together. And that's how you help retention because you realize these are the factors. And we also tracked, by the way, the reasons why people left voluntarily. There were 67 reasons why people left. And out of those 67 reasons, we came up with trends. Most of them, believe it or not, were related to things that were the company at the time was going through that really could not be helped, like systems integration. The systems were just too darn hard. Okay, well, th- we're working on that, but we can't really do much about that. But then another big reason was the manager. Mm-hmm. You can certainly oh, do something yeah. about that. If I had kind of a yucky manager and we saw the trends... 
different. We realized that if everybody was saying in Tampa, Florida, that my manager was terrible, maybe we need to replace the manager in Tampa. Just saying. And so that was a big that was a big trend too. So I want to make sure that we properly serve the practitioners out there because well, here's my concern: is I think they're going to listen to this interview and they're going to get fired up and they're going to want to do this. <laughs> All right, let's do it. And, and they're going to come into the office and they're going, man, I listened to this interview and, and, and this Karen chick, I mean, she has got a handle <laughs> on this thing and we need to do this and we need to do that and we got to start giving, it, it, it reminds me of having, in the old days where you like, you go off to a seminar and you get all yes, fired up and right, back. exactly right. So I, what I want to do, the reason I mentioned that is I, I'd like to, to offer them some counsel on, uh, on, a, on a wise way to go about greasing the skids and implementing properly <laughs> what we're describing. Can, right. can, can we walk that through a little bit and put some thought into that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what you first have to start with is, is like I said, objectives. So you want to make sure that you have these target audience groups that you want to measure. It'd be great to have a control group if you can't. There has to be some differences between the groups, right? So you have to decide, are you going to have differences in the recruiting and hiring? And that's uh, some differences. Are there going to be differences in the onboarding and training? which obviously we're trying to focus on here. Are there going to be differences in how you actually measure their sales performance? So certain criteria for some groups and certain for others. You want to have to be able to extrapolate trends. So what you have to figure out is, from a trending perspective, what actually is going to matter to leadership? Mm-hmm. What do they care about? So, for example, when we did this at, at, at Earthlink, we cared about turnover. We cared about manager performance. We cared about their actual training effectiveness. So, for example, we were changing the training. So when we decided to change the training, we said, all right, we're going to compare now the talent score management scorecard from before when we did a longer program, longer classroom program, to now a shorter program. So we were going to see how effective that was. So the reason why we did that is because we were going to do much more pre-learning before they came to class and most more post-learning. Mm-hmm. Because why we were going to try to save money, right? Mm. So, and if you're going to shorten the program, you can't just say, well, I'm going to shorten the program just because. So we wanted data to prove that, okay, if we shorten the program, we know you were nervous about that leaders, but we think we can do it because we're going to have a much better, you know, pre and post. So I think you have to have a plan of what are you trying to measure? What are the objectives? And what, frankly, do the, the leaders care about? So when you get the outcomes, they're going to be excited, to your point, about, hey, we spent all this time and energy on this, but it was worth the time because look at what we found out. So I think that's what you have to really focus on is what data do people care about and then figure out a way to go back and measure it. And to your point, if you can do it with the beginning and with the end in mind, that'd be great. But if you can't, you can always go back. (laughs) I mean, you can't always go back and measure, but you just have to know you have more more variables, right? You can't say it's always, you can't say, you know, wholeheartedly it's because of X because you didn't have, you know, you didn't have a control group or you didn't have standards in place. But that's okay. It doesn't mean you shouldn't measure it. I don't want people to be afraid and say, well, if it's not perfect, I can't measure it. You know, if it's not the perfect sample size, if it's not, I'm not doing the data holistically and being very clean and pristine, no data is clean and pristine. Nothing is perfect. You're always going to have some weird extrapolation, some weird exception, and you're going to have to make footnotes in the data because it is what it is. Right. And that's why I think so many leaders don't do it because they're waiting for it to be perfect. Right. And it's never going to be perfect. Um, With such leadership involvement that's required here, um, how how high up do you have to go to get this approved? You know, honestly, um, at Verizon, we were Fortune 11. So you're not going to get the CEO involved, right? But you do want to get, for example, the chief revenue officer, the, the head of sales involved, uh, or maybe the head of that particular channel involved. And then obviously his regional or her regional leaders involved. Because you're going to be 
kind of opening up their kimono, so to speak, for the world. So you don't want to surprise them and say, hey, we're going to be measuring all your folks. And by the way, this is a, you know, at the end of the year, good luck. You know, so you don't want to do that. <laughs> I think in a smaller company like Earthlink, I did get the CEO involved. So, you know, he was very much involved in the process. He was excited about it because he wanted to figure out, hey, we're spending a lot of money on training and hiring and recruiting. And what are we getting for our money? So at that smaller, mid-sized company, I did get him involved and certainly all the leaders in between because we wanted their support to pull the data, right? And to make sure that we, they were knowing what we were doing. But I think you have to go as high as you feel like the leaders that you're going to show the data to, you want to make sure that they're involved because you do not want to surprise them and say, oh, by the way, for the last seven months, I was kind of creeping on your people. Like Facebook, I was creeping on your people. I was checking them out. And <laughs> then it would be nice working with you. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to creep them out. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So you definitely want to make sure you're upfront about it. Okay. So <laughs> that sounds like marvelous counsel. What a delight having you in the studio this morning. This has been incredibly informative. My my head is swimming with, I don't know if it's new knowledge yet or not, but I, it's certainly intriguing topics. We got to have you come back sometime. Okay, sure. I'd love I, to come back. I got a thousand more questions. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm sure Holly does as well. Holly, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Uh, great questions that I think I, I'm glad, our listeners will be glad that we that we took a chance to dive into. I know um, you guys. You guys. <laughs> you guys. You guys. In the training, development, consulting, all you smart people in that arena, you have a tendency to be very collaborative and really mm -hmm. and, and willing to help each other. Are, are you open to us publishing some coordinates for people to reach out to you if they want to sure. have a conversation? Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, what's, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Yeah, absolutely. The best way to reach me is, is through email, and um, and I can uh, give, obviously, get the email out. It's karen at effectivesalesstrategies.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn, so you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And the last name is a long one, so <laughs> I won't spell it here, but it's Angeletta Wheeler. It's a big, nice, long one. Uh, but having said that, they can certainly reach out to me either way, and I'm happy to share best practice with them or talk with them, have a cup of coffee with them, and, and uh and see how they can get started. Absolutely. Well, what a marvelous experience, and I am quite sincere. We're going to have you back, and we're going to talk about all kinds of, okay. of, of training topics. Thank you so much. You're Thanks. welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Until next time, this is Stone Payton for Holly Payton, our guest this morning, Karen Angeletta Wheeler, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights. Go weeks down, 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 down.